Welcome to the Everyman Livestream. If you're joining us for the first time, and we know there are a lot of you out there joining every single week, welcome. My name is Jeremy, and I will be your host today. Now, we are in part two of a series called The Red Letter Warnings. Now, if you own a Bible, then you probably know what the red letters are. They are the words of Jesus. Now, part one, we recognize that some statements that Jesus makes to his disciples are, well, let's just say, a lot stronger than others. Now, there's an urgency and importance that is noticeable because he knows the truth about something. He loves his guys, and there are big consequences at stake. Now, today, men's expert and pastor Kenny Luck is going to dive into the second red letter warning of Jesus. Now, I'm going to let Kenny unpack that for you in just a moment. But to get you ready, let me just ask you a question. Have you ever met someone who claimed to be religious or even super spiritual, and then they didn't practice what they preached? Well, that's where we're headed today. But before we get started, I'm sure you know of someone who wants to know and walk with Jesus more closely. And if you do, this is a perfect message to share with them. So go ahead and share this message right now and encourage them in their faith journey. Now, let's go live to Crossline Church in Laguna Hills, California for part two of the Red Letter Warnings. All right. Well, we're starting uh, part two of a series we're calling The Red Letter Warnings. Uh, let me just do a little review. In part one, uh, we talked about when two people are talking, uh, you can have like just a regular conversation, all right? And the kind of the emotional level is kind of mellow, right? You're just talking about things. And then sometimes when two people are talking, like you can make a recommendation. So you're talking about something and you go, hey, you know what? If I were you... Uh, you know, you might want to consider uh, this, right? And it's still, you know, on the level, pretty mellow. It's just a recommendation. But then when someone says to you, watch out, or be careful, or never do that, all right? Now we're at DEFCON 5, right? <laughs> and it's uh, those words have a lot of truth in them. They got a lot of reality, and uh, they have big consequences. Um, and so that's why we're calling this the red letter warnings. We're looking at some of those statements by Jesus where it's not a conver you know, it's just not like he's having a little conversation. It's not even a teaching or, but these are statements that, that weigh a lot, you know, and considering the person who's say saying them, uh, we should really, really reflect on them and take them to heart. Now, just to kind of lead into today's study, how many of you guys have seen the show Undercover Boss? Anyone? Okay, it's kind of fun, isn't it? Right? There's the boss. It's the person in charge. It's how, you know, he says the company should be and what the employee should do and what the values are. And then there's the employees and how they act, right? And so the boss goes undercover and he uh, pretends to be just kind of a line worker and he gets to see the gap or closeness between what the company is and what it says it does and what its real values are and how the employees act. And man, that reveal after, you know, he goes undercover and then he re-meets with the employees, it's so tense and awkward for the person who was not really acting in line with what the boss says to do versus the person who really gets the boss and is, is performing and represents the boss 
like it's their company, you know? And that's the best kind of employee, right? The one who acts like an owner, amen? And so when it comes to your life and it comes to the words of Jesus, you know, I always thought it'd be really interesting if Jesus went undercover in your life. What if? Well, here's, here's the reality. He is undercover in your life because he's God and he's everywhere. He knows your thoughts. He knows your words. He's with you at work. He's with you at your house. He's with you in your car. He's with you when you merge onto the freeway. He's with you in every single situation. And so when, uh, when Jesus talks, we should listen. He's with us. And uh, last time we, we, we set up how we're going to go through this. I, I just want us to really gain a sense of urgency when it comes to the words of Jesus. Then we're going to look at a warning of Jesus, and then we're going to talk about it. All right? So uh, if you have your notes, take them out. Uh, in John chapter 12, Jesus talks about his words again. Last time we talked about Matthew 7, where we, Jesus says he gives kind of a warning. It's like, hey, you better pay attention and put my words to practice. All right? Similar kind of statement in John chapter 12. He says, I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey, but I have come to save the world, not to judge it. But, all right, this is a big but in the Bible, all right, but all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. Did you catch that? I came to save, but I spoke the truth. And when you stand before me, you're not going to be judged by me, by the truth I've spoken. That's going to be the thing that measures us. And then he says, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. All right? And so he's giving his words high value. All right? His truth. Because when Jesus speaks, he speaks truth. Truth is of the highest value. All right? Because either we're believing truth or we're believing lies. And based on what we believe, we behave in light of what we believe. And then ultimately, that is what we're going to stand before God. So you better be listening to the right words. And you better be taking in the right words. You better be taking in truth. But when it comes to the words of Jesus and your connection to them, this passage implies a few questions. It's like, you know what? Your relationship to what I say reveals three things. First thing it reveals is, who am I to you? I mean, there's Kenny talking, there's Joe talking, you know, there's Chris talking, there's Jim talking, and there's Jesus, right? Now, you're important to me, but how I respond to your words is different than the way I respond to Jesus' words. Your response to Jesus' words reveals who he is to you, right? Is he just another voice? Just words on a page? Or is he God? All right? Second thing it reveals is to Jesus is what I am, what am I saying to you? What am I saying to you? Because he says, but all who reject me and my message. Okay. When you hear the words of Jesus, it's the message of God. Right? And our attachment to that, you know, it reveals, you know, hey, what how does Kenny feel about what I'm saying to him, right? Is the message important to him? Is it not important to him? Third thing is it reveals what you believe, what will happen to you. 
Like there's a difference between me saying something to you and what's going to happen next versus what Jesus says, right? Remember when Jesus was saying some hard things and people started to bail on following Jesus and, and Jesus looks at Peter and he goes, you're not leaving too, are you? And he goes, Lord, where else could we go? Only you have words of eternal life. Wow. So when it comes to the words of Jesus and your connection to them, it reveals a few things. Who is Jesus to you? What is he saying to you? And it reveals what you think is going to happen to you in the future. Because Jesus connects his words to your future right in this passage. But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. Right? So, Jesus says, let me assure you. Fill that in. Or it says, so, let me assure you. So Jesus says that, you know, your connection to my words, it reveals to me who you think I am. It reveals to me what you think I'm saying. It reveals to me what you think is going to happen to you. So, let me assure you. And there's that last line. And it starts with, I don't speak. Let's read it together. Ready? I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Wow. So, let me assure you. When I say stuff, the Father who sent me has commanded me to say it, what to say, and how to say it. These are words from God. Wow. So in the realm of your life and in all the conversations you have and all the words that are coming at you via digital media, social media, conversations, family, opinions, radio, TV, there's a distinction between the words of Jesus and all other words. Amen? Now, when it comes to Jesus' words, within Jesus' words, there are warnings. And man, that's really when you just, just turn up your miracle ears. You want to take those in, right? Look at what the Bible says about warnings. Isaiah 8, 16. Let's read it together. Ready? Bind up this testimony of warning and seal up God's instruction among my disciples. Wow. So I want you to circle bind up and seal up. Bind up and seal up. Whenever the Bible says, take something to heart, it's a, it's a fastening picture, right? You got to bind my commands on your heart. You got to bind it up. You got to tie it in. You got to reel it in. You got to lock it down. You got, anybody have those, uh, those, those tie downs? You know, like if you have a truck or something and you want to tie something down, it has a hook on the end and then it has a, a strong band and then you just kind of crank it down and just goes, mm, 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 mm. Why? So when you drive... That sucker's not moving, all right? And Jesus is saying, tie it down. Tie down what I'm going to say, especially the warning, testimony of warning. Why? Because it's going to reveal, it's going to reveal something in the future. Seal it up. You know, you guys ever seal something up? You seal? See, when, when words from kings were delivered, they were delivered on scrolls, the scroll was sealed with wax, and then the king's ring went into the wax to reveal the integrity, 
the authenticity, the seal wasn't broken, this came from royalty. And so when Jesus says, you know, hey, you got to listen, and the Bible warns, bind up this testimony of warning, seal up God's instruction, among who? Look, bind up, seal up, for who? Who's that behavior for? My disciples at the end. Those are the behaviors of a disciple. When Jesus gives a warning, the disciple goes, boom, radar's on. I'm dialing that in, and I'm going to seal it up. Why? Because it has the king's authority on it, my king. So the first part of the series, so that there's another just, again, we're going to start with you know, the words of Jesus, why they're so important, why warnings are so important, and then we're going to look at a warning. So the first warning in part one was the warning against self-sufficiency, right? Remember? Self-sufficiency, right? Pride and self-sufficiency, humility and God dependency. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said, right? Now we're going to look at the warning against religiosity. The warning against religiosity. If you don't know what that means, you're going to find out through the words of Jesus in this study. And I had a little passage here in Matthew 16 that I'm going to read, and then we'll unpack it uh, more specifically. It says this, later after they, that's Jesus and the disciples, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, you have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then at last they understood he wasn't speaking about the yeast in bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Right? So Jesus is taking advantage of a conversation. You ever been talking about something? And he goes, oh yeah, that reminds me. So they're talking about, oh man, we're bummed. We don't have any bread. And Jesus goes, hmm, bread. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. And the devils are like, did we bring an extra loaf? You know? Just like, dude, don't worry about eating. Man, I totally provide for you here. I provide for you here. Don't worry about your stomach. Worry about your soul. When I talk, don't worry about your needs. Worry about what I say. Right? Don't you understand even yet? He's like, oh, come on, man. You know, he's just kind of bridging the conversation, using the picture of bread, talking about yeast, because yeast is the element that makes the bread what? Rise. Okay? So it, it expands, right? And so, you know, he dials them in, and he's like, so again, I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. So there is this deceptive thinking and teaching and living that is in the Pharisees that can infect them. And it can grow and rise and expand in their lives. And Jesus is warning them, don't be like them. I don't want that influence to come upon you. So then the question is, well, what's the yeast? All right, what does it look like? Well, Jesus addresses that with the Pharisees just a chapter earlier in Matthew 15, verses seven through nine. 
Let's read that together. Ready? You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Whoops. Boom. On the outside, they hold their Bibles. On the outside, they attend temple. On the outside, they act religious. They have religious words. They have religious behaviors. They have religious ways. They have religious visibility. They're with religious people. They go to religious schools. They understand religious language. And they know how to be religious. And what does Jesus say about them? You know, these people honor me with their lips, but you know what? Inside their hearts, we are not even in the same room. Wow. You ever bump into a a Christian like that? Someone who's kind of full of praise the Lord and hallelujah and the Bible says, and they've got all of these religious behaviors. But you know what Jesus sees? He doesn't see their behavior. He sees their heart. Because they're religious, but they're not spiritual. There's a difference. There's a difference between truly spiritual and authentic belief in God and being religious, right? And so Jesus is calling them out. He's going, you know what? Okay, I'm, I'm a teacher. You're a teacher. You respect me in public. Privately, you want to murder me. Because your religion is about you And I'm not about you and your religion. I'm about God and his words and people who need God and his words. And you're all about you. But it's under the mask of religion. And they're pimping God for personal gain. Wow. Right? No wonder Jesus warned them, right? So let's look at a few things that religiosity does from the words of Jesus, all right? Remember, it said, beware of this yeast of the Pharisees. It's a yeast. It, it's, it's guys who are pimping God for personal gain. They're using God, right? To gain visibility and power and gratification, right? So what, what's the warning against? Well, this is a few reasons why religiosity uh, has a warning tag to it. Number one, religiosity distorts our view of ourselves. Religiosity distorts our view of ourselves. Little scenario here in Matthew chapter 9. And there's a a distinction between how the Pharisees and the religious people see themselves and how real sinners see themselves. Sinners that need a savior, right? Uh, Let's read it together, Matthew 9, 10 through 13. Ready? While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but 
but sinners. Hmm. So, see how the tax collectors and the sinners, man, they really wanted to eat with Jesus. Why? Because they knew who they were, and they knew they needed forgiveness. The Pharisees set themselves apart from those people. You know when you like to say, oh, but those people, you know? And they had this distorted view of themselves. And because they had a distorted view of themselves, and we'll get to this later, they couldn't relate to people. You know, and there's another terrible byproduct of being religious, is that people can't relate to you, normal people, okay? That's why they call it the holy huddle. Only religious people talking with religious people, it's just a religious echo chamber, right? But Jesus came to save sinners. Say this with me. Jesus came to save sinners. Right. And Kenny's one of them. And you're one of them. Jesus came to save me. I needed to be at that table. But you know what? After what's really interesting about Christians is after they get a little Bible and after they get a little church, and after they get a little religion, all of a sudden, those people are not them anymore. Wow. And Jesus is just going, you know what? Never distort your view of yourself. You're a sinner that needs saving. But there's a part of us that wants to take credit for our own holiness. There's a part of us that is attached to our own, our own credibility. I have zero credibility apart from Jesus. Can I just tell you that? Wouldn't be here, wouldn't be alive, probably be dead. Wouldn't have any influence, any impact, no salt, no light, zero apart from Jesus. Never want to forget that. Number two, religiosity is about me, not God. Religiosity distorts our view of ourselves. Religiosity is about me, not God. Matthew 23, verses five through seven. Let's read that together. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogue. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Remember when I said some strong words about men pimping God for their own benefit? It's not about God. It's about them. It's about this insecure part of them that is needy for respect. And they're going to use God to get the respect. They're going to look like religious men who know God. They're going to talk God. They're going to walk around with special things in their hands and on their clothes. And that is going to take away the real point, which is God himself. And the attention and the glory is going to go from God to them. And there's only one who gets the glory. And it's not them. And it's not you. And it's not me. It's him. Right? And so when we use God or our knowledge of God or our knowledge of the Bible or all, to make it about us and what we know, right? Be careful. 
Because the glory is going away from God and it's going on to you, right? Number three, religiosity exalts man's ways and words above God's. Now he's making stuff up, right? In the program of making it about me, I'm going to start making up stuff that I'm going to connect to God that's not from God, but you should do it even though it's not from God and I'm making it up. Wow. It's like a special click with special rules, right? Look at what Jesus says. This little vignette. See, Jesus is has got a problem because he's spiritual and they're religious and they don't like him because he's the real deal and they're posers with selfish motives. Little scenario here in Mark 7. I'll read part of it and then we'll finish it together. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of the disciples eating food with hands that were defiled. That is, Unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law ask Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? instead of eating their food with their defiled hands. Okay, let's finish it together. And here we have that verse that we read earlier. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human So what started off as a good thing and a God thing becomes a them thing and a man thing. Now they're just adding stuff that people need to do, right? So we've gone away from what is central and we've gotten into what is peripheral and trivial. And there's a good description of what religion does. You go away from what's central, mercy, the commands of God, the love of God, and you get into what is peripheral and trivial. They're getting into how to wash your dishes, man. I mean, these guys are just like, what is the toilet paper roll from the top or the bottom? Is the toothpaste, do you squeeze from the bottom or do you squeeze from the middle? You know, they're getting into how do you cook a sausage, man? How do you wash your dishes? And you know what? He's going to reference this whole stupid investment of energy that they're saying is from God again and is going to hit him in the mouth with it. See, because you know what? If you, you know, Jesus was full of grace toward sinners. You know what he was full of truth? Who he was full of truth toward? The religious. People who are adding burdens and requirements and, and they got away into their own stuff, you know, became a club. It, it, it was supposed to be about God, but then it became, started off with God, and then all of a sudden it became all about man, right? So that's what religiosity does. Religiosity exalts man's ways and words above God. So lest you divorce yourself from these religious guys, 
we do the exact same thing. We make things way more important in the spiritual journey than God does sometimes. You know? We make it all about behaviors, what you're doing or not doing. Now, Jesus did say, you know the tree by the fruit, okay? So I get it, right? The fruit reflects the source. You know the tree, the life, by, you know, what, where the life is rooted in, what's its DNA, by what comes out of it. Okay, I get that, all right? But sometimes we get into our own ways and our own stylistic things and our own ways of teaching the Bible, our own ways of expressing Christianity where it has more to do with us than it does with about Jesus. And then we start throwing up all these walls for people. Well, I don't, don't want to be like you. Well, that. And so that's what was happening. So now you begin to sense why Jesus takes religiosity so seriously and why he's kind of like getting in the sixth position, you know? If you're a fighter pilot and you're in the sixth position, gun selected. <laughs> he is obliterating this whole religious spirit because it's ineffective and has nothing to do with God. Number four, religiosity blinds man to his own sin. Religiosity blinds man to his own sin. So we got a passage in John chapter 9. Let me, let me set it up for you. I couldn't put the whole passage in there, but man, read John chapter 9. You'll learn a lot about this whole topic. And, and it starts with the disciples. Because they think that the law of the harvest, right? The law of the harvest is a man reaps what he sows. They think that it applies in the temporal or on earth when it's never intended to apply on earth. It applies in a biblical sense toward eternal things. So they come upon a blind man and they go, so Jesus, who sinned? This man or his parents? Well, what are they saying? Somebody did something wrong that he's like that. I mean, he was born from birth. So they think, you know, it's more Eastern than it is biblical. You know, they think, oh, well, he did something, somebody did something, that something was bad, it created consequences. It's like Job's buddies. Job, you're in this predicament because you did something wrong. And God, in the end, goes, no, that's not why it happened at all. So this is the context of the words we're now going to read, because Jesus says, nobody sinned, neither this man nor his parents, but this has happened so that the glory of God might be displayed in this man's life. And Jesus healed him, right? So then here come the religious guys and they think like his disciples thought and they're like, hey, what happened? What's all the ruckus? And the blind man just goes, I don't know, man. This guy just like spit in the mud. He put a couple pieces of mud on my face and now I can see. All I know was I was blind, but now I see. He just told it like it was. But that wasn't enough for the religious guys because they're so invested in their religious religiosity and religion and man-made rules and man-made ways. No way. Wait, it's not supposed to happen like that. You're supposed to earn it. You're supposed to earn a healing. I mean, if the defect was a result of not earning it, then the healing should be because you earn it. And that's in our, that's in our book. Okay, it's not the book. It's in our book. Okay? So now these Pharisees cast the blind man out because they don't want him talking about, hey, man, I mean, here you are. I'm healed. I, you know I was blind. This dude spit in the mud, put a little mud on my face, and I can see. Okay, that's a, well, guess what? You're kicked out. Boom. They're gone. He's gone. 
And so Jesus hears what happens to the blind man. And now let's roll the film. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the son of man? And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. What a moment. Wow. What a moment. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment, to give sight to the blind, and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Let's finish it together. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can... Wow, there's a turn of words, and there's a turn of events. The person they thought did something wrong did nothing wrong. And the people who thought the man who did something wrong, which created a result in his life because he wasn't religious, they're wrong. So this whole idea of, you know what? We see, we know, we have arrived. We, we know what we're talking about. We know better, right? That religiosity and pride made them blind to God. It blinded them to their own sin. They were poor self-reflectors. When you get religious, it's hard for you to look in the mirror and stay there. It's hard for you to see that you need a savior. Why? Because you're putting all your time and investment in all your religious behaviors, right? Not in Jesus. He came to save, not behaviors. And so religiosity blinds us to our own sin, right? Number five. Religiosity diminishes others. And you pick that up in the Gospels. You read the Gospels and you see these religious guys, they diminish people to elevate themselves, right? They have to make other people look bad and unholy for them to look more good and holy. They're comparing, right? That's what happens when you get religious. You start comparing. Well, I do this and they don't do this, so they're bad, all right? And you diminish other people to lift yourself up. Here's how Jesus approached those people. In Luke chapter 18. To some who were confident of their own what? Righteousness. Yeah. To some who were confident of their own righteousness, looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Let's just stop right there. Those are polar opposites in that culture. A Pharisee is a holy man, and a tax collector is a what? Sinner. Like the worst of the worst. He's an IRS agent who works for the Romans, okay? Can't get any worse than that. Then Jesus goes on with the story. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a what? Wow. He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And here is the summary. 
Let's read it together. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Wow. You know, if you got to point to someone else's unrighteousness to point out your own, that's not from God. I'm just telling you right now. When you judge other people on how spiritual they are, I'm not talking about a believer and, and you're letting this be the arb- arbiter, but you in the seat of judgment, you're saying, hey, you know, thank God I'm not like him. You know, oh, those poor people. Okay. So Jesus is putting them, putting everybody in the same boat. I'm no different. I mean, there were so many things I, can't, I couldn't control. I didn't control what part of the world I was born in. I didn't control my, my, my dad's income. I didn't control so many things, the color of my eyes, the, you know, I'm going to Haiti tomorrow. I, they couldn't control where they grew up. They didn't control their circumstances that drive them to do certain things, to be better or worse. They didn't control any of that, but we act like we do. And we act like it's really a part of us when we're just, we're just like the robbers and the evildoers and the adulterers and these tax collectors. So the Pharisees, the religious, they diminish these people. And Jesus is going, yeah, hey, we have one of those people who prays an honest, authentic prayer to me, and he knows who he is, a sinner that needs saving and needs mercy, versus you, who thinks he doesn't. The sinner who knows he needs mercy and asks for it, that person was justified before God. So it's a, it's a shot across the bow. I mean, again, Jesus is, is gun-selected, sixth position, he is blowing up being religious and super spiritual and replacing it with being authentic, right? Authentic and real, right? Number six, religiosity pushes others away from God. This is, this is where we now can begin to understand how all this religious behavior begins to make people say to themselves as they watch others be religious, I can't measure what? Up. I can't be like that. I don't know the book that well. I, I, don't, I, can't, I don't know all those sayings. I can't say all that scripture. I can't talk like that. That's not me. I can't, I, can't, I mean, it's either... I can't measure up behavior-wise because I'm so far away from that, and I can't even imagine myself being like that. I just can't get there, right? Or it pushes others away from God by just like, you're goofy. You're weird. Who talks like that? Like, when you look at Jesus, and you look at the religious people, and Jesus is, is with the common person, He's talking their language. He's telling stories. He doesn't quote a lot of scripture when he talks with unbelievers. He tells stories, builds bridges, makes connections, right? These people are front-loaded religious. They look religious. They act religious. They talk religious. And they are so far, the people are like, yeah, 
I mean, there's nothing goofier than a goofy Christian, by the way. Really. They do more damage for the gospel than help the gospel. Rather than just being normal, ask normal person questions. Like, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself, and where are you from, and how's it going? You got any kids? And like you would talk to a normal person. And then let God open the door versus let your, you know, spiritual report card do the work for you, right? So look at what it says here in Matthew 23, 13. There's another shot across the bow to the religious. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. Let's read together. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Wow. Just, you know what, guys? Just look at Jesus. Just look at the way he worked. Look at his rhythm with people who didn't know God and who were far from God. And how many rules he broke, how many religious rules he broke to touch the leper, defend the woman, tell parables about the Good Samaritan. He was not acting in a religious way during his time. He was acting normally, like a regular person, right? And isn't that really amazing about Jesus, the King of Heaven? The King of Heaven wants relationship, and he's good at connecting with people, right? So religiosity pushes others away from God. And then lastly, and this is this is really the one that hits me right between the eyes. Religiosity hinders our own spiritual growth. You think you're like growing more spiritually. You know, the more Bible I know, the more, you know. Okay, and that's true. Just depends on how you attach to it, right? Depends on what's going on inside. What's my attachment to the religious or spiritual behavior, all right? Not that the behavior is bad. It's what's my attachment to it, right? So look at what Jesus says, again, in Matthew 23 to the religious guys. Let's read it together, right? Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside also will be clean. Remember how they, before, he was talking about their goofy traditions of why don't they wash their hands and their stuff? Why do they eat with their hands? That's because they developed all these religious rules about, because they were so concerned with holiness, right, that they didn't want anything dirty. And so then anything dirty represented unholiness. And so we have to distance ourselves from anything unholy. So now they make up all these silly rules on how to be holy. And it goes right down to how they wash their stinking dishes. Wow. So then Jesus takes their silly behavior and he turns it into a spiritual lesson. And he goes, you know what? He goes, you clean the outside of the cup. You're really religious. The outside of your cup looks holy. It looks knowledgeable. It looks clean. But guess what? Privately, what I see, your cup is dirty. So, you know, if you clean the outside of a cup and then you put it back on the shelf, you're like, not going to use that cup. 
There's a lesson for you. If you're publicly religious and privately full of greed and self-indulgence, watch out. And then Jesus says, you know what? Let's learn a lesson from dishwashing. When you clean the inside of the cup first, the outside gets clean. Start with the inside. And man, there's a prophetic message for you this morning from the Lord. Clean the inside of your cup. What are your motives? How do you look at people? What are your private thoughts? Because guess what? Your public religious self is not the person. God's not looking at the outside of your cup. Your cup might be nice and white and clean publicly, but privately, man, how do you talk to people? What words do you use? What thoughts do you think? What behaviors do you let give yourself permission to indulge in? You know, what's going on in private, all right? Because that, that reveals more. The inside of the cup and dish needs to be clean. So the only way I know to clean the inside of Kenny Luck's cup of my life is confession. It's the only way. That's how you get clean on the inside. If you want to not hinder your own spiritual growth, you got to get honest with yourself, honest with God, and honest with some other people. That's why the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, right? Because if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a spiritual discipline confession, right? It keeps us clean on the inside. Keeps us honest with ourselves. Keeps us honest with God. Keeps us honest with men, right? But if you walk around, you know, going, I don't have anything to confess. That's not what Jesus says. Why put the command to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another if you have no sin to confess? But there's a lot of us who walk around. Yeah, nothing to confess, right? Who's that on? Us or God? It's on us right? And so we just have to get more honest. When you read about stories, we attend to, we, and so a lot of times we, we attach to the protagonist, we attach to the good person, we attach, in the gospels, attach to the sinners that you see. Attach to the, the tax collector, the prostitute, all right? The leper, the one with spots. Because Jesus is friends with those people. Because they know who they are and they know what they need. They need a savior and they need cleansing from their sin. Do you know that today? Like in here, is that how you feel? You wake up in the morning, you just go, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every day, I need you. Wow. So this is an important topic. So those who know Jesus best know who they are. They're a sinner who's saved by grace. And that's why grace is amazing. Amen? Amen? All right. Let's read about Jesus. Matthew eleven nineteen. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Well, I'll tell you this. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is my friend. He wasn't hanging out with the religious. He was hanging around with people who knew they needed him. So don't be religious. Be spiritual. There's a difference. I love spiritual people. I don't like religious people. Because when people are religious, it distorts their view of themselves. It makes it about them, not God. It exalts their ways above God's ways. It blinds them to their own sin. 
It diminishes and compares themselves with other people. It pushes others away from God and it hinders their own spiritual growth. Let's bow our heads and pray. God, we want to put a stake in the ground today based on the words of your son, words that you commanded him to say, what to say, and how to say it. And he couldn't have said it any better. Lord, that you're not about behaviors. Because if we could behave our way to holiness, you don't need to die on a cross. We're holy not because of what we do, but because of the person we've trusted in and the work he did. And it's amazing that you did that, Jesus, and what that accomplished, and that we have a ticket now to be with you forever, sins cleansed forever. Lord, help us not to be like the Pharisees and help us not to let religion influence us, the ways of man, the traditions of man. So Lord, we just confess. We confess our sin. We confess that we got a long way to go. We confess that you're perfect and we're not. We confess that you're holy and we're sinful but because of the grace of God, our sin is cleansed and we're children of God. Miraculously, wonderfully, and stunningly, we're in your family and we're called sons of God. So Lord, help us to live today not seeing other people in a religious way, but help, me, help us to see other people the way you see them. You love them, you died for them, and you want to know them, and you want to raise them up. So God, thank you for this warning today. Help us to take it to heart. In Jesus' name we pray, and God's men said. We had some very notable members of the fire department step up and say, I was suicidal. Another guy said, I was struggling with post-traumatic stress. And all of a sudden we started talking about it. By not talking, we were killing ourselves. But by simply talking, which for a guy is so hard to, to open up and just really share what's on your heart and your mind because you think you're the only one struggling with it. And, and in reality, we had, well, all of us were struggling with it.